Well, as we move into chapter 4 of the book of Esther, we come to the famous section, Perhaps you've come or attained royalty for such a time as this. And Esther really had to decide if she was going to trust in the Lord, if she was going to step up to save her people, if her faith was going to be bigger than her fear. And we all have to face that. And we all have to find the courage from the Lord and even within to do the right thing, to take a stand when it's time. We're going to explore that more today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. The Bible says there is a time for mourning and there's a time for dancing, right? There's a time to, to weep and a time to laugh. And, and there's, it's hard sometimes to know, you know, what does that look like? And is there a, a deadline for these kinds of things? Look, there's no perfect science to these kinds of things. But Israel, when someone died like Moses or Aaron, they mourned for 30 days and they kind of stopped everything and they went into a, a period of mourning. And, and so many times I think in American culture, we feel like people should just move on. <laughs> it's not that easy. And so we just have to give each other grace in those situations. I want to show you, uh, as you hold your place in Esther, something in Isaiah 61. This is something that Jesus quoted. Turn over to your right, Isaiah 61. If you don't want to turn there, just listen to it. It's a beautiful prophecy that Jesus reads a portion of as he's in the synagogue. And uh, that's recorded in Luke 4. But here, let's look at Isaiah 61. And I want to show you something it says about the Messiah that he'll do for people. King Jesus. It says these words. Isaiah 61, 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord, reading from the NIV, is on me. Because, 61.1, the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them, notice, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Isn't that beautiful? What Jesus wants to give us, instead of the garments of mourning, the crown uh, of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. But the Lord knows that we need help. Back to the book of Esther. He knows how to speak that word in due season that can bring us hope. He is the God of hope. And there's a lot of hopeless situations in our world, or a lot of hopeless moments. I, I mentioned in our prayer uh, tonight that a pastor in the LA area has committed suicide. Can I tell you, I think over this last weekend, can I tell you in 20 years of pastoral ministry, I cannot remember one time hearing of a pastor who committed suicide. And now I've heard of two pastors committing suicide in the last about three months. Uh, the previous one here in Chino, right, in the next town. And I have to ask the question, what's going on? And, and, and I think it's simply this. I, I think, yes, life can feel like it caves in on us. Yes, uh, life can get heavy. Sometimes we feel like there's no way out. 
but Jesus is the way of escape. He's the way to deal with these issues. We, we've got to look to him and look, sometimes there are wider issues, right? We, we need help on many levels oftentimes, but, but if you're hurting, you gotta tell somebody. You, you gotta be vulnerable and say, look, I'm on the edge here and I'm gonna do something stupid and it's okay if you're feeling that way. It'd be better to share it with somebody than not to share it and continue to combust on the inside and do something tragic. And so back in Esther 3, or I'm sorry, 4 verse 5, Esther summoned a man named Hafak from the king's eunuchs whom the king, Esther 4, 5, 5 appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai. So Esther uh, gets him to go to Mordecai out in the streets. Mordecai can't come in. He goes out to learn what this was and why it was. Now, I think that, uh, this is my own personal opinion, I think Esther knows what's going on, but she's looking for the particulars. Have you ever been in a situation where you hear something and you're like, what? And why? And I think she wants to understand more of what's going on. What's happened and why? What is going on? And so Hathak went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him. The exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Verse 8. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show Esther and inform her, and to order her to go into the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. And Hathak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Can you imagine? Esther was already writhing in anguish. Now she gets more detail. She's, as we would say, caught up to speed, and maybe Hathak said, you're going to have to sit down for this one, because I got a lot to tell you. This all started when your cousin, your adoptive father, wouldn't bow to Haman, and Haman got and more and more angry every day, and he went into the king, and he hatched this plot, and he convinced the king, and now there's an edict, and it's gone everywhere, and here's a copy of it. Can you imagine? She's sitting there at a table, reading the edict, edict going, are you... No, no, sealed with the signet ring of the king. And so the last words repeated through this eunuch is that you must go to the king. You must go, Esther, and you must beg him for the life of your people. And Esther may have taken a gulp right there and thought, he doesn't even know I'm Jewish. I've been hiding it. Now I am called to step forward. My adoptive father, I'm supposed to honor my mother and my father, has challenged me. In fact, the language has ordered me to go to the king and plead for the people. Esther's life, we have to admit, has been one of at least some compromise. She's in a pagan court. She's obviously the queen, and we could say God's hand on, is on that, but she's had to compromise many of her values, I'm sure, to be there and live the way that she has had to live. And so she sends a reply back to Mordecai. This servant is kind of like the middleman, and now he takes the message, and he's got to walk it out. And here's the message. Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. 
All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court, you know this, she might say to Mordecai, who is not summoned. If we come to that court and we have not been summoned, he has but one law, and that he or she be put to death. Unless the king holds out to him, we could add her, the golden scepter so that he may live, and I have not been summoned, to come to the king for these 30 days. It's been a month since he's even asked me to come and see him. You might say, well, how is that possible? She's the queen. Remember, he has a huge harem, and she's been married to him for over five years now. And they say in marriage, if you can make it past seven years, you're, you're doing well, right? Have you guys heard those statistics? I'm not sure if they're all true or whatever, but anyway. But we know how... Uh, it's possible, given this man's loose morals and unrighteous sexual ethics, it's possible that when he added to his harem year after year that a new girl had caught his fancy. That maybe his desire for Esther had cooled. Uh, this is the reality of the Persian court. He had all these women at his beck and call, and he could call upon them when he wanted to. And she says in the uh, communication back to Mordecai, he hasn't called on me in a month. I haven't seen him in a month. And you could read between the lines, Esther's kind of saying something like this. I don't even know if he likes me anymore. I don't even know what my standing is with him. And I entered into this uh, particular position because the one before me, Vashti, wouldn't make him a turkey sandwich. <laughs> that's, that's veggie tales. That's not the actual. But she wouldn't come. And, and who knows what happened to her now? I don't know if you guys have been watching the uh, Leah Remini series. She's doing an expose on Scientology. And the wife of the leader of Scientology, what's his name again? Uh, David Miscavige. Um, his wife has not been seen publicly, I think, for, what is it, seven or more years? Nobody's seen her. She's like MIA. Missing in action. And some of the people believe that she knows so much that David Miscavige has her locked away somewhere with guards under lock and key lest she expose the true nature of Scientology. And let me just say to you, the true nature of Scientology is that it is a diabolical, nasty, terrible religion. And I put religion in quotes duping and ripping off hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, devastating their lives. And what they have to do is they have to try to hide and move things around and, and do what they do. Well, she says, he hasn't even called on me in 30 days. And, you know, Esther's human. And she has to be thinking, maybe, you know, if I walk in there unsummoned, maybe for the king it would be easier that he doesn't extend the royal scepter. He just says, I'm done with her anyway. And I, and I could die. You know, Satan said of man, skin for skin, all that a man has will he give in exchange for his life. And Satan said to God, if you remove the hedge from Job, he'll curse you to, to your face, right? Now, Satan didn't really know Job, right? Because Job still worshiped the Lord. But there is this human tendency, our first reaction to big problems is the road of least resistance. Can I get up? 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Today, it's very important to know what you believe and why you believe it. Do you have an answer when your friends, family, or coworker asks you about your faith in Christ? The Truth Academy is here to help the believer contend for the faith. You can take online or on-campus classes on subjects like Christian apologetics, Christian doctrine, world religion, contemporary cults, and much more. Enrollment for the spring quarter is open now until April 12th. Visit thetruthacademy.com today to register. That's thetruthacademy.com. See you in class. Did you know God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it? The famous verse, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this, tells us that Mordecai sensed God moving in the darkest of times. This is a story about ordinary, everyday people taking a stand and becoming vessels through which God saved a nation. The story is filled with satire and seriousness, but it ends with celebration as God turns things around for good as only He can. Get your copy of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching of the entire book of Esther for such a time as this. Yours as a thank you for your financial gift of $30 or more to Walk in Truth. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Esther's human. And she has to be thinking, maybe, you know, if I walk in there unsummoned, maybe for the king it would be easier that he doesn't extend the royal scepter. He just says, I'm done with her anyway. And I, and I could die. You know, Satan said of man, skin for skin, all that a man has will he give in exchange for his life. And Satan said to God, if you remove the hedge from Job, he'll curse you to, to your face, right? Now, Satan didn't really know Job, right? Because Job still worshiped the Lord. But there is this human tendency. Our first reaction to big problems is the road of least resistance. Can I get a witness? Let's see, what's the easiest way to deal with this? And sometimes it's easier to sweep stuff under the carpet or, or just say, I don't want to deal with that or I don't want to go there. I certainly don't want to risk myself before the boss. I don't want to put my job on the line. I, I don't want to risk this or that for these people over there. Whatever happens over there, that's their problem, right? I mean, we can have all these justifications why we stay out of it, but you know, that James 4.17 says, to him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, you know the rest. To him, to her, it's sin. There is a sin of omission. It's to omit what you know is right because it's easier not to do what's right. And we would all confess if the line came up here tonight. We could all confess the number of times that we omitted the right thing to do. Even feeling like a nudge from the Spirit and we didn't, we didn't do it. Today I was driving in my car and there was a man. I was on Border Avenue. I was driving up to my house. It was late morning today. And there was a man walking down the middle of the street like this. He looked so angry, and he was literally in the middle of my lane, and he wasn't moving. It was almost like he was saying, we're going to play chicken right now, me and you. And he, and I'm in a car. I got metal around me. But I tell you what, he looked angry and borderline satanic. 
And my first reaction, see if I can get a witness for this one, was something like this. I mouth these words. Are you going to get out of the road? <laughs> you say, Pastor Michael, no. Yes, it's true. I am human, especially human when I'm driving. I didn't have any worship music on. I don't know what happened to me. But here's this guy. <laughs> and so, oops, there goes my water bottle. So I said, I mouthed the words. I was hoping he could understand. He could read my lips. No new taxes. No, never mind. That's from a long time ago. Anyway, read my lips. Are you going to move? And I did one of these. Now, in my old days, this would be a moment to fight. This is a moment when you exit your vehicle and you're like, all right. Let me tell you something. You won't take my lane? We'll talk about it. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a pastor. And uh, it usually uh, heals most of my fleshly thoughts. Anyway, so I did end up going around him. And <laughs> I just went up to my house. And as I passed him, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, What are you doing? Pray for him. I, I was so, I, I went back to my Italian machismo days where it's my lane and you ain't going to mess with my lane and nobody's going to get ahead of me when I'm out driving because this is a race. I don't know if you knew this, this is a race. And we used to take our kids on a trip. You'd look to the back seat and you'd say, there is no more bathroom. That white car is not going to beat me to Arizona. <laughs> Uh-huh. See, I see the ladies looking at the men because the ladies are going, why didn't you do, you do that? Are you trying to get directions? Yes. It's a male deficiency. <laughs> pray for us. Anyway. So I, I just prayed for him. I can't tell you. I got out of my car and said, what's wrong? Can I help you with something? It didn't seem like the appropriate time maybe to do that. But I did, I did feel convicted, like, what's going on in this guy's life that he'd be walking down the middle of the street wanting to take on a car? Like, really? And so the Lord's working on my heart to, to try to see past. It's not, it's not about you. Well, Esther could have had all of her excuses, right? He hasn't called on me. My life's on the line. What if he doesn't hold out the scepter? Genesis 49.10 says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Psalm 45.6 says, A scepter of up uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom, O God. But Esther could have done something like this. You know, it's been five, five and a half years. And maybe I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, I, I, I've heard some talk about providence, but in reality, maybe I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe I'm not the guy. I'm not the girl. You know, we know stories of Moses and Gideon and others who said, Lord, you have the wrong person. It's not me. And I'm sure Esther, and we could all relate to this, probably said something like this. What am I doing here? He hasn't wanted to see me in a month. <clears throat> I'm in a Persian court, and now my adoptive father, my older cousin Mordecai, wants me to go to this king and risk my life? 
No way. That's my flesh, right? Whenever a big challenge comes our way, what can I do? Maybe I've lost favor. I might die. I can't. I can't. I can't. But you can do how many things? All things through Christ who strengthens you. Esther's first reaction is natural. We tend to take the path of least resistance, which requires the lowest level of commitment to address problems. One writer says, Complex problems are seldom solved by a quick and easy answer, however appealing it might seem. And Mordecai will not let Esther avoid the problem here with a simple answer. Another writer says, In a time of crisis, for all our orthodox theology, our own first response is frequently the whimper of resignation or human strategy rather than robust faith in God. We believe in God, but in practice we react to life's crises as if we are virtual atheists. Close quote. These are challenging truths, but there they are. And so they related Esther's words to Mordecai, verse 12, and then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther these words. Middle of 13. Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. I think simply he's saying, I believe in God's covenant promises to Israel, and I believe he'll find another way. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. You see, Esther was saying, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. And older cousin Mordecai, adoptive father, was saying, no, sweetie, you're right where you need to be. Amen? But my temptation is often to say, could you get somebody else? There's, there's other people around here and there. There's other Christians in this neighborhood, in this country, in this church, in this company, in this city, in this town, in this zip code. <laughs> Why me? You know who I am. You know my frailties. You know my inadequacies, inabilities. Let me just print them out for you again, God. You, I know you know everything, but you know, I'll just put them before you again. Prone to, prone to, prone to, prone to. Pr <laughs> and in a very Jewish way, Mordecai says, who knows? <laughs> now, that wouldn't comfort me a whole lot. I mean, if Mordecai said something like this, you have been put in this spot for such a time as this, no doubt, take it to the bank, sister. That would be one thing. But he, he adds a, who knows? <laughs> what do you mean, who knows? I'd like somebody to know, do you know? Who knows? <laughs> who knows what the weather will be like tomorrow? Who knows? I hope somebody, God knows. We often say that, God knows, but I don't know. Maybe you've come into royalty for such a time as this. Do you think 
when Esther heard that, she kind of did one of these contemplative moments where you, you start weighing, you know, the negative and positive side of the ledgers. Let's see what God's done. Let's, uh, let's, let's check. My, yeah, that, that did happen. Boy, that was surprising. Yeah, he did pick me and there was hundreds of girls. And Yeah, I, I, I do sense that he's got me. But, but. <laughs> go down the other side of the ledger. This and then this and this. And it just depends on who you want to listen to, right? Your fears or your faith. It comes down to who do you really believe in? Who's your God? Who do you trust? And Mordecai says, Esther, maybe you're God's vehicle for just this time. Well, I think you would agree with me that it's true for all of us, at least at times, that we let our worries overshadow our faith. Do you really believe that God has you in both the good times and the hard times? You know, the best way to do that is anchor yourself in God's Word, and that will build your faith. Well, listening family and friends, I really would love to hear from you, and our staff really appreciates it. When you communicate with us and let us know how the program is blessing you, challenging you, stretching you, and if you have any comments even about the teaching today, maybe you have a prayer request, please feel free to email us or write us. You can do all of the above. You can find out all the information when you go to walkintruth.com. Well, friend, I pray that you'll tune in again tomorrow to hear the conclusion of Esther chapter 4 for such a time as this. Be encouraged. Keep walking with the Lord. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. And may God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.